This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, January, uh, is it the 13th? Yes, it is. The year of our Lord, 2022. Jam-packed, high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Forecast does not look promising again this weekend. I got a buddy who's a chief meteorologist in Cleveland. We are currently pacing ahead of Cleveland here in Nashville for total annual snowfall. And look, we're probably going to stretch the lead at some point this weekend. But we got a jam-packed show tonight. Lessons Learned, one of my favorite Tracy Lawrence songs, and it's also what the rest of college football really needs to be doing when it comes to the University of Georgia. There are a lot of misnomers. There's a lot of, I think, total misunderstandings about how Georgia won a national championship. A lot of people look at it and say, well, of course they won. They got a whole bunch of talent. Yeah, they didn't wake up with it there one morning. There's a way that talent got there. There's a way that a lot of the investment got there, too. We're going to talk about it all because there's this thinking out there that only two or three programs in America could ever be capable of doing what Alabama does or doing what Georgia does. It's false. That is not true. It is true that Minnesota is not capable of just blanketly duplicating what Georgia did. But there are a lot more programs out there capable of doing what Kirby Smart just did, technically capable, shall I say, then meets the eye. So we will discuss. Also, the transfer portal bombs set to go off. Some of them have already gone off. Some big names are in the portal. This is just never ending. Uh, but right now, you got Caleb Williams out there, Jackson Dart. I'm a huge fan of Jackson Dart. He's in the portal right now. And you got some guys like Mario Williams, a ton of Bama guys have begun the annual exodus out of Tuscaloosa. We're going to talk about all that tonight. Got some intel on where some guys may be leaning. Who knows? There may be some bombs that go off before the end of the program. Uh, speaking of programs out there, some of them just flat out need to step up. I asked earlier today on Twitter, which programs are you tired of waiting on? You could be a fan of that program, or you could just be a college football fan in general and look at Penn State or Tennessee or Texas. We had a bunch of programs named, those were just three of them, and say, to varying degrees, it's time for you to step up. Now, some of them have new staffs in place. Other ones have had staffs for quite a while. Is it time to step up? Well, I got about eight or nine programs that my answer is yes for. We will discuss that tonight. And more evidence continuing to emerge that 2021 could very well have been the best college football season that we have seen in a generation. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram at Late Kick Josh. Format update here. Some of you may have noticed we did not have a Late Kick Extra podcast today. Well, production is shifting right now, but starting... I guess you could say this Sunday. Starting Sunday, we go to what we call irregular season format. We do not believe in off-season, so we don't use the word. But you got regular season, then you got irregular season. Right now, we enter irregular season, which of course means we have Late Kick Live on Sunday night, Late Kick Live on Thursday night, and you will have a Late Kick Extra podcast right there in your podcast feed every Wednesday morning. So if you listen to us just via podcast, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, that's when you'll have a new product there. Uh, it just means we shave one show off of each format per week. And that will not be permanent, just temporary, a.k.a. irregular season. 
The other thing that I want to ask you as we dive into the show tonight, let's be responsible about this, and I don't need it right away, but since we're in irregular season, and since I just give you my email address for the whole world to use, joshpate706 at gmail.com, and because my Twitter DMs and Instagram DMs are open at Josh, here's what I want to know from you. When it comes to your show, which is this show, what changes would you like to see? What feedback do you have from this season? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? If I just put you in charge of production and formatting, what would you change? I cannot promise you that everyone will have their wish granted, but I do want your input. Consider this a Late Kick Town Hall event, and it stretches several days, but I do want to hear from you. So I'm just putting that out there. Do with it whatever you want to. Let's dive into this tonight. Got a nice crisp piece of paper in front of me, and Colin, we may not even start the actual VOD portion of the segment here, but the other night, Umbridge was taken by several of our Georgia fans. I was over on dogs247.com the following day, and I saw that there were a lot of people who were happy with the coverage that we gave, the Georgia National Championship, but there was a lot of umbrage. There were a lot of folks rubbed the wrong way, and they were rubbed the wrong way because they did not think that I balanced the show enough. They did not think that I talked enough Georgia. They did not like the amount that I talked about Alabama. They thought that that show should have just been dominated wire to wire by Georgia. And initially, I went porcupine mode, and I quills up. I said, you have no clue what you're talking about. Well, I thought that. I didn't say that. That would have been mean. But I did go back and watch the show. So I do want you to know I listened to you. And I did go back and watch the show. And you know what? You're not entirely wrong. If I could perfectly recalibrate the minutes and seconds that we dedicated to each individual topic, I probably would have shifted about five more minutes towards Georgia. It was still at like a two-to-one ratio. But yeah, so we did talk a lot of Alabama, and we talked about the rest of the 2021 season. We talked a lot about Georgia. The first 20 minutes of the show were about Georgia. You weren't totally wrong, though, okay? So I followed it up with this. We're not done talking about Georgia. We don't just conclude the entire recap of the 2021 season in one show the day after the 2021 season comes to a close. And with that in mind, Colin, this is probably your more natural endpoint. What can the rest of college football learn about what the University of Georgia just pulled off? You watched them win the national championship. If you're a casual fan, you probably saw them maybe play a couple times this year. They had the opener against Clemson. You watched them in the SEC championship, maybe the Florida game, a couple other games. You may not have even known the team all that much because they were winning in such dominant fashion. They weren't playing many close games. If you just live in, I don't know, Topeka, Kansas, you probably passingly saw them. And that's probably a compliment to Georgia. But a lot of college football watched them win this national title, and they had different reactions. So I came on the show the other night, and I said something I absolutely mean. I said, I think a lot of college football could learn several lessons from what Kirby Smart just did. Not overnight, but what they just accomplished and what the University of Georgia did. It's not easy to win a national championship. It's really hard. It's not easy to beat Nick Saban in Alabama. I don't care how banged up or young they are. It's very hard to do it. It's very hard to get to the mountaintop of this sport. Now, I said that, and then I followed it up with saying there are other programs out there technically capable of doing what Georgia just did. And there was what I said, and then there was what some people heard me say, which was entirely different than actually what came out of my mouth. There's been this common refrain, anytime you want to praise Georgia and you want to also say other programs are capable of doing what they did, and the refrain is essentially, well, yeah, of course Georgia won. They had 19 five-stars out there. It's easy to win when you got all that talent in-house. It's aggravating to me. It's really, really aggravating. 
Because when you say things like, oh, it's easy for Georgia to win. They got all that talent on campus. It means that you're starting the book on chapter 12. That's essentially what you mean. It's like Kirby Smart and his staff woke up one morning and all that talent was just there under their pillow. There was no evaluation. You know, there was no scouting. There was no recruiting. There was no evaluations and there was no relationship building. There was no getting the talent on campus via really good closing techniques. There was no development, both neck up and neck down after guys got on campus. There was no roster management. There was no coaching roster management. There was none of that. It was just, oh, look, all the talent's there. How do you think the talent got there? How do you think a program like Georgia gets all the talent there? And then my follow-up question, when you answer that however you want to, is do they have the patent on that? Does Alabama have the patent on it? Some people would lead you to believe, yes, there are only two or three programs out there really capable of doing it at that high level. I call BS on that. There may be only two or three programs currently doing it at that level. I don't think the limiting factor is whether other programs are capable. I think the limiting factor sometimes is whether they're willing to go over the cliff and do everything that it takes to win. Some people walk in and they see Georgia out there and it's like this, this full garden. You got all kinds of different vegetables, everything you could possibly want. And you say, oh, of course no one goes hungry here. Look at all this food available. And you have no clue what the harvesting process was. The rest of college football could stand to learn a whole lot from what the University of Georgia just did. Their last title that that program won came before I was born. So this is not a given there. This is not the norm. It's not their birthright. They don't do this every two or three years. Something changed. Recently, something changed, just as it needs to change at several other major programs out there that have underachieved for quite a while. The lesson for other programs is not in the product. I'm not asking you to wake up and look at Georgia currently. I'm asking you to look at what they were. Focus on the process that it took to get from where they were to where they are now. Of course they're dominant now. Of course they're a monster now. I'm not asking Tennessee or I'm not asking University of Texas, can you be that overnight? I'm asking, what did Georgia do and what about what they did to become what they are, are you incapable of? And I think there should be silence if you're really being honest with yourselves because a lot of programs out there technically are capable of it. Recruiting budget is an excuse. Recruiting budget is what a lot of people go to and really budget in general and they say, well, they just have more money. You know, they can just outspend us. You're not getting outspent. You're getting outinvested. You're getting outworked. You're not getting outspent. If you really look at what it takes, even when you count facilities, and then when you count coaching salaries, and you count everything, there's a lot of money being spent. But really, when you talk about what it takes, purely financially, to operate at the highest level of this sport, it's nothing that several other programs out there could not technically afford. You're not getting outspent. You're getting out invested and you're getting out worked, especially, and then you get the product and you want to look out the window and tell your fan base, the system, you know, it's the system. It's just, they've got money we don't have. They got resources we don't have. No, look in the mirror. They got something inside themselves that maybe you don't have. How important is winning? Like I would ask this, if I were a fan right now of a major program, I'm not talking about Akron right now, I'm talking about major programs, I would watch Georgia, and then I would look in the mirror and I would ask myself, how serious is my administration about winning? How serious is the president of my university about winning? How serious is my athletic director about winning? And then I would ask, is winning just a bullet point when they do donor dinners and, and fundraising and when they have a mic in front of them? Is it something they say or is it a core foundational value and principle? A lot of people meet the former. Not so many meet the latter. Now, not everyone needs to win. They kind of want to win. It would be nice, 
be a nice cherry on top of the efforts that they put forth. They don't really need to win. Georgia decided they needed to win. Alabama long ago decided they needed to win. Ohio State, they decided they needed to win. Clemson decided they needed to win. And they do what it takes to win. If money alone were winning titles in college football, the trophy would never leave the state of Texas. You're not just getting outspent. You're getting out invested. Investment goes well beyond just finances. Investment goes well beyond the word no. There are a lot of no's that you used to get in Athens, Georgia, that when Kirby Smart walked in, he made change to yeses because he came from a place over in the Central Time Zone in Tuscaloosa where they don't say no to Nick Saban. And he walked in and he said, look, Mark Rick didn't get it done for you here, but it wasn't all him. It wasn't all him. See, you watched him on Saturday. We in the coaching community knew that Monday through Friday he had one hand tied behind his back, and that's because of you. I can't have that. I can have it and win you nine games. I can't win championships if you don't give me everything Nick Saban has. The no's turned to yeses because Georgia decided they didn't just want to win. They needed to win. They had to win. So whether it be Texas or Texas A&M or Tennessee or any of a number of other programs, you can put Florida, Florida State in there. How badly do you need to win? Because if you need to win, you'll find the money. You'll find the money to fit the bill for all the facilities. You'll find the money to fit the bill to beef up that recruiting budget. You'll find the money for five extra off-field analysts or a, an overhauled nutrition staff if you need it. There are many, many different compartments that Georgia has now checked that they use and just did to win a national championship. It's not that your program is totally incapable of it. It's just that they haven't decided to go over the cliff. They've gotten close to it. And they've looked over and they go, ooh, that's a long way down. Georgia looked and they jumped anyway. <laughs> they kind of built a parachute on the way to the ground. Well, I will tell you this. We put that graphic out every year. I think Brad Crawford keeps up with all the recruiting budgets. And he puts that graphic together every year. For a few years now, Georgia's had the number one recruiting budget in the country. And Georgia fans celebrated, as they should. You're looking at it right now if you're watching on YouTube. And that's a big discrepancy, by the way. Georgia's sitting there at 3.6 million. This is for 2019. 2020 was all out of whack because of COVID. 2021 numbers will be out in a couple of months. But look at that. They spent over a million more than Alabama did. And then Tennessee's there, Clemson's there, Arkansas's there. That's the price just to compete in recruiting in the South. But I want you to ask yourself, you look at that $3.6 million figure now, knowing what just happened. How do you feel about it? Because I remember vividly when this graphic was put out, a lot of people laughed at it. A lot of people said, oh, look at that. You're outspending Alabama by a million, but you can't beat them on the field. You got $3.6 million tied up in recruiting budget. You got zero national championships to show for it. You win one of them, it already probably in the last 48 to 72 hours has paid that off tenfold and will pay it off 50-fold and 100-fold. 3.6, can you imagine having everything else in place, but as a program looking and saying, I don't know now. I I'm willing to spend 1.7 on recruiting, but, but 2.4 or 2.8, oh, that is semantics. That is a rounding error. That is an office supply budget within the context, not of my salary, but of what the windfall is. If you win a national championship, yeah, I don't think the folks at Georgia are fully realizing it until right now, really what that means. They could theorize it. They could get an economics professor to project what it would mean. Wait till you see the cash windfall for that university and that community and the state. I got, I got reps from Academy Sports and Outdoors telling me, we've never seen anything like this. From Macon to Augusta to Savannah to Columbus, there are people snaking around our stores to buy this national championship merchandise. Uh, that's just the merchandise aspect of it. The donations go through the roof. 
Uh, enrollment goes through the roof. You got folks all over the place. You got a kid in Nevada, probably grew up in Reno, couldn't find Georgia on a map two years ago, that all of a sudden, believe it or not, because he sees the success of the football program, wants to enroll. And he's an aerodynamics major, a physics major, and previously Georgia wouldn't have been on his list. You would be stunned at the impact. The economic studies that are done for programs that take it to the next level in football, it's insane. And I say all that to say, stop dragging your feet on recruiting budgets. Spend the money it takes to acquire the talent. That's what I'm trying to say to a lot of programs that drag their feet on this stuff. And spend the money. Write the check. Don't brag about how deep your pockets are if you're not willing to come off the wallet when it counts. No one cares what your endowment is. No one cares how rich your boosters are if you're not willing to write the check to actually keep up. No one wants to brag about how much money they have when they finish eight and four. No one cares. It doesn't mean anything to me as a fan or to him as a fan or hers. It doesn't matter to us. We wish we had that money. If we had it, we'd probably spend it differently than you, which may be partly the reason why we don't have it. Uh, this is not an economics class, but it is a testament to what they did at Georgia and what is capable of being done at many more programs than just two or three if you really decide you need to win. Instead of just deciding winning, hey, it'd be nice. Maybe one day our ship will come in. You gotta swim out and you gotta drag that thing in or you gotta build it yourself, kind of like Kirby Smart just did at Georgia. Uh, by the way, that does not conclude our Georgia coverage for the rest of the spring. We're not immediately shifting towards spring mode, but we will talk Georgia a lot. So don't worry to all my friends over on, uh, over on Dogs 24 7 don't worry. I have heard you. Your words have been headed, take headed up, heated. It's an inside joke. If you get it, you get it. But look, please learn the lessons. There's not just one or two programs who can do this. Please learn the lessons. I want to go back to what I was just talking about because that's not a lie. There are Academy Sports and Outdoors locations all in the state of Georgia that opened up right after the national championship game, and we got feedback from a number of the stores, and it's true. You, you don't have to get feedback from Academy. You could have just gone on Twitter and seen the videos of these lines just wrapped around these stores waiting for them to open up. And then I wake up today, and I'm looking at some of the things I've been tagged in, and someone's telling a story. I felt so bad. Couldn't be us, but it's feeling so bad. Someone told a story about daring to go somewhere other than academy.com or academy sports and outdoors for their Georgia national championship merchandising needs. And I'm not going to mention the store because I have nothing personal against this place. It's, they're not as good as academy. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing. And you found out, didn't you? And you got something you didn't want and it may have been subpar in quality and you wanted to return it. You find out there's a fee to return it. It's like shopping in a third world country. Look, don't do it. Don't do it, especially when you don't even really have to go to Academy. You can just go to academy.com. I had someone tell me, I wish I could go to Academy. I don't have one here. Yeah, you do. Look, right here, this thing, or a phone if you have one, academy.com. But I would suggest the experience right now alone. If you are down in the state of Georgia, check it out. It's really impressive when you walk in those places. I've seen some video. They were ready for this. Alabama, if they were to have won a, another of 27 titles, they would have done some good numbers. Georgia wins one, and they shut the state down. They're having a national championship celebration Saturday, probably with a winter storm rolling in, and it's already sold out. I got a buddy, Hazmat, used to direct the show down in Columbus, hitting me up saying, can you get me in? And we will effort that, by the way. But um, Academy Sports and Outdoors is your hookup nationwide. 
Okay, I hope every one of you eventually gets to snake your way around an academy at 1.38 a.m. to buy a national championship shirt for fill-in-the-blank university. Right now, it is Georgia, but I don't care if you don't like Georgia. You may need a cantina. You may need a cooler. You may need a jacket. It's about to get cold across, like, the entire eastern third of the country. Make sure you're grabbing all your gear at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Got a meeting with those guys tomorrow. Always excited to talk with them. Uh, So, I guess thematically it feels like that segment or that portion of the show rolls right into this portion of the show. Earlier today on Twitter, I asked a very simple question. Which programs need to step up? Which ones are you looking at and saying, "Uh, it's about time now, come on, got to get something done. And you gave me one, two, three, you gave me like two dozen, but there were really about seven or eight or nine that were familiar that you mentioned by the dozens and dozens and dozens. Texas A&M was chief among them. Texas A&M is not a program, though, that I find myself looking at right now in disgust or with a lot of shades of doubt. I think a lot of that is because of two things. Of course, they beat Bama this year, and also they are in the process, maybe not done, they're in the process of bringing in the greatest recruiting class we've seen in in modern recruiting history, in the entirety of the 24-7 sports team rankings history, Jimbo bringing in the number one class. And he's been very vocal about it. Remember, we had him on the signing day show. And he said, there are things we've wanted to do that we haven't been able to do that I think this class will let us do. Thinks he's got the best quarterback in the entire cycle. And that includes Quinn Ewers from the transfer portal. I asked him specifically about it. And he said, well, we really didn't go after Ewers because Connor Wigman we think is the best in the country. So I'm going to take his word for it. By the way, I would highly encourage you, if you haven't seen it, live uh, or watch the replay to go watch the coach's film room of the national championship game. It just, it always, anytime I watch something like that, it always leaves me speechless at how people out there on their couch question play calling. Uh, I'm going to leave that to you guys. When you listen to football coaches, if you're so fortunate as to watch them when they're actually diagnosing ball, when they're watching either their own team on film or the opponent, or when they're just casually watching another game, It's insane. I had someone one time tell me about Jeremy Pruitt. They were in the same room as him, and he's watching like an Auburn game or something like that, and he's just steadily calling the game. He's calling the offensive game before the ball's snapped. There's a level that even the informed fan thinks on, and then there's like 17 stories, and way up there, even the coaches you would consider just mediocre, they're an entirely different level of the atmosphere because they've watched it for so long and they've lived it for so long. Anyway, side note, that was a fascinating product ESPN put out. Texas A&M, though, sure, it is time, but it's almost like you forget they only, quote-unquote, only won eight games this past year because it seems in so many ways like the season was more successful. And I also think people are looking at it and saying, yeah, we lost Haynes King, lost our starting quarterback, we did what we could do with Zach Calzada, but really, you're banking on the future. And so you know you've got the coach you want. You know you've got the staff you want. You know you now have the talent coming in that you want. So yes, I will agree with you guys. Sure, it's time. You know Jimbo's already halfway through that contract, entering, what is it, year five? I was on with Chuck Oliver today, and he said that. It almost took me by surprise because it still feels like Jimbo just got there. It feels like Jimbo's been at A&M way less amount of time than Kirby's been at Georgia. To me, that's how it feels. What about Texas? Now this one... You get a little bit more of a clenched fist when you talk about, and your knuckles whiten a little bit more. Yes. Now, this has kind of permanently been the state of affairs around Austin for a long time. Yes, 
It is time. And I think most of college football, unless you're a direct rival of Texas, is looking at them and thinking the same thing. Regardless of who the coach is, what you always know in the back of your mind, or at least you think you know, is they got enough talent to compete. Now, I would counter with the fact that I think that's been a little overblown as a talking point. It's one thing to bring in guys with stars next to their name. We're in that business, okay? We are 24-7 sports, so we, we are the company that puts the star grade next to the names. There's a ton of legwork that goes into that. I would put my name against the reputation of those individual star grades and rankings, but my point is, when you see a school like Texas, you can either look at the roster from like 30,000 feet and say, a lot of former four and five stars there, or you can zoom in a little bit and understand, is the talent evenly enough dispersed? Do you have enough of that developed, important word there, four and five star talent in every position room, or is it disproportionately tilted towards one or two rooms and you're perilously thin in another room? You know, that happens all the time. That's why you gotta know more than just the team talent composite. Like we do that on the website and it's an important thing to know, but you gotta know how to interpret that. Like I'm a, I'm a weather nerd, so I'm looking at the GFS and the Euro, you gotta know how to interpret that model data or else you'll believe that 17 inches of snow is gonna fall in, in like, um, I don't know, Charleston, South Carolina next week. You gotta have a little bit more of, of your own brain working. Well with Texas, even having said that, no one wants to hear an excuse about Texas nor does Steve Sarkeesian for that matter, nor does his own fan base. They want results. Now, to me, I've told you many times, Clemson and Texas, the two most fascinating programs to watch as the spring and summer approach, because those are the two programs that a lot is expected of, and especially with Texas, they're overhauling everything there. That will not look like the same team. I cannot promise you a different looking record. I can promise you that's a totally different looking team in spring. And then especially when we get to the fall, you know, they got Alabama coming in there. I'm thinking week two, they got Alabama coming into Austin. That'll be fun. What about the Pac-12? We got the screenshot, right? So when I put this question out earlier today, I want to say it was Matt Prem out with Oregon, uh, the Oregon site we have on the West Coast. He said, yeah, there it is. So I said, who needs to step up? And he says, can we just say the Pac-12 and end this discussion? If college football could get Oregon, USC, and Utah to all be at 10 wins or more and play at the same time that way, combined with Stanford, Washington, UCLA, Oregon State, and Arizona, all bowl eligible, we'd all be better off. Is that so much to ask? Really think about that. He's asking for three programs out there. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, Oregon, Southern Cal, Utah. He wants them to be 10-win caliber programs. Of course, in any given year, that means one of them is a playoff contender. He wants that, and then he wants a nice second-level of solid bowl eligible teams. Any given year, give me four or five really solid bowl eligible teams to beef up the conference schedule, beef up the conference profile. You know, that is not so much to ask. You got Lincoln Riley coming in at USC. We think, and I'll talk about it later in the show, that Caleb Williams will come in there as you would presume the starting quarterback once he arrives. At the worst, you got Miller Moss there. But they've made moves. I mean, they're, they're dead serious at USC. Dan Lanning is walking in at Oregon. Dan Lanning is walking into a very good roster situation there. Dan Lanning also knows the name of the game is about talent acquisition first and foremost. He just came from a place at Georgia where he learned that. We spent the first 15 some odd minutes of the show tonight talking about that. So there's no reason to believe from a personnel standpoint, Oregon's going to fall off. No one has any way of knowing how Dan Lanning will 
perform as a head coach. I have reason to believe you should believe in him. Uh, you know, I, I have endorsed it, and we all know how much that's worth. I've endorsed the move. I'm excited to watch it, though. I, I think the biggest question a lot of people have is Kenny Dillingham at OC, a, a guy who has not really had play-calling duties in his lap, and now you have got a new head coach that is also implementing a new system, and he's got Dillingham up there. It's a lot to talk about in the spring, but Oregon being at a 10-win caliber level, that's not too much to ask. Utah just went to the Rose Bowl. They won the Pac-12. That is not too much to ask. And I'm sure the new commissioner out there looks around and says, no, really, it's not too much to ask. We're not, we're not asking for multiple playoff contenders. We're not asking to be the SEC and occupy half the playoff every other year. Although it would be nice, we just, we just want a stronger detection of a heartbeat out here. Because right now, nothing west of Norman, essentially, has mattered on the national level. And that's got to change. I completely agree with that. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I would say next to, and possibly including Texas A&M, one of the most popular submissions to this question was Penn State. In fact, if I were to recount, Penn State may have been number one. Penn State, when it comes to programs that need to step up, yeah, Nittany Lions, right there. Now, what's been the go-to? The go-to has been they're limited because quarterback play has limited them. Drew Aller is a legitimate five-star caliber quarterback who is coming in with this signing class. Sean Clifford's coming back. He will celebrate his 33rd birthday as quarterback in Happy Valley. But eventually, this is going to be Drew Aller's team. Now, it stands to reason that is a reason for hope. James Franklin is there, and they've re-upped his contract, and they've reinvested. So basically, the things that you ask for, you're kind of getting. I don't know that you're shouting them in a megaphone, but you've got theoretically what you need there. We talked a lot during the season about the need to invest and invest and invest. Kind of the same theme we opened the show with tonight with Georgia. Penn State's got to do that. But look, I think it's also totally fair for them to look back and say, look, you're asking us to invest. You better give us a reason to believe. It's not the worst thing in the world to go into Columbus, Ohio, you know, and lose to the Buckeyes. But we're losing to Illinois at home. You can talk about bad breaks and whatnot. Game shouldn't be close. It's, it's Penn State versus Illinois. We can't have that. So we give you a show of good faith. you got to give us a better show of good faith. I'm just interested offensively to see what Penn State becomes over the next year, really 2022. I'm not looking down the road past that. 2022, interesting year for Penn State offensively. Staying in the Big Ten. Now this is going to sound weird because a lot of people said Ohio State, and I agree, but this is totally different context. Ohio State 
you know, this is not a team that you're looking at and saying, oh, eight wins again? No, but it's different. The standard there is different. The talent level is such that anything short of a playoff appearance, and maybe even further than that, is viewed as a disappointment. I don't think Ryan Day feels any differently. You know, they're happy to win the Rose Bowl. They should be happy to win the Rose Bowl. Uh, we're not going to poo-poo the Rose Bowl around here. But when you look at all the offensive talent they have, and you've been told elite quarterback play, elite perimeter skill play, you got Travion Henderson in the backfield, good solid offensive line, those are the things that win in college football these days. And they can't beat, what did they lose to Oregon and lost to Michigan, couldn't get it done, couldn't even make the playoff this year, couldn't make the Big Ten championship game this year. Telling you, I don't think it is the most unfair statement in Buckeye land. You know, if you're up there in, uh, let's say, where do we want to go? Let's go to Sandusky, Ohio. You're looking at all those players on that roster. You're looking at C.J. Stroud. I'm not even going to mention the receivers because it's only like a 45-minute show. And you're saying to yourself, we ought to, be, we ought to be accomplishing more with this group. That's not unfair. That, that is not unrealistic expectations to want to go better than two losses in regular season play with that crew. That's not unfair. And so by default, that means, yeah, it's time for them to step up. Now, to their credit, uh, Ryan Day is doing anything but sitting still. They're overhauling the entire defensive coaching staff up there. And so uh, they understand it. Like, they get it. It's just now it has to be done. I've got confidence that they will get it done. Like, I really like Ohio State this upcoming year. What about Tennessee? Tennessee, very important to properly contextualize this, too. Yes, it's time for them to step up, but it's been time for a long time. And when they got rid of Jeremy Pruitt and they hired Josh Heupel, it's too early to look at Josh Heupel and say, hey, it's time for you to produce. Because the fact of the matter is, they already kind of did. This past year, they certainly overachieved, in my mind, relative to expectation. And offensively, you got everything you could have ever hoped to have gotten from that team. They were gutted. Would you remember in spring how dire the situation looked for Tennessee? First off, you still have a looming NCAA investigation there. Like, when's the last time we talked about that? It's still going on. And as soon as someone wakes up from their nap and delivers a ruling, I'll be happy to report it, but it hasn't happened yet. So you got that going on. You had a mass exodus to the transfer portal. You got a new AD and coaching staff in there, and no one really knows much about them. I think 2021 turned out okay. And there's reason to believe that offense is going to be a monster to deal with. Because right now we saw Josh Heupel do what he did with essentially what he inherited. Now they get to go to work putting together their roster and putting together their kind of player. Now what's going to be fun and a learning experience for everyone in Knoxville is, is Josh Heupel's system one that's going to require top five classes every year? Or is that going to be one of those things where he is so good as a tactician and a developer that he can say, all right, as long as I got quarterback taken care of around that quarterback, give me good top 10 to top 15 caliber roster talent. We'll get it done. Let's keep a close eye on Tennessee. Tennessee as a program, yes. Like Jesse was giving me just some insane stats about the last time they beat a top 10 team out in the newsroom. And I said, Jesse, go in your room. Go sit by the garbage. And he said, it's true. I said, I want you to sit by the garbage because it's true. Someone's got to pay a price. And Butch Jones isn't here right now, brother. So you got to bear the brunt. And then let's go to the entire state of Florida. Now, I'm not going to spend too long on this because this is an entire segment that we do about once every other month. But as you well know by now, it is my personal feeling that the state of Florida holds the key to competitive balance in college football. 
And right now you got the University of Florida and you got Miami, you got Florida State, not a, how do we say it? Nary a one of them finished in the top 25 this past year. Now, certainly at all three stops, there is reason for optimism. I would be very excited if I were a Florida Gator fan right now. I love the Billy Napier hire. I love the subsequent hires that he's made. So there's a lot to like there. Don't know if it's an overnight flip of the switch. I love what he's done there. At Miami, they got Mario Cristobal. They got everything they could have ever wanted from that standpoint. It's not an overnight flip of the switch in all likelihood, but they're on the right direction down there, trending in the right direction. Think at Florida State, you have a mixed bag. There are some people who still believe in the direction of Norvell. I think the, the tenor was disproportionately soured on early signing day just because of the Travis Hunter thing. Uh, but you know, how much does one player matter? Depends on how good the player is and then what kind of ripple effect his arrival or departure has. But I, there, there are reasons. I think Mike Norvell came in. You know, I've, I've talked to Bud Elliott about this. Bud's close to the Florida State staff or close to the program. Probably close to the staff, too. And he said, you know, Norvell didn't come in like some other coaches have done and try and say, we're going to compete in year one. We're going to contend in year one. And every step of the way down there, you know, the, the feedback has been that he's been very realistic with people and honest and brutally honest with his assessment of where the program has been. And as a result, you know, you're not stunned if they lose a game you don't think they should be losing because it's part of a greater overhaul, greater process. I don't know how long they give him. And I certainly wouldn't say hot seat or anything like that. Regardless. State of Florida, at least two of those programs at any given time should be parked inside the top 10. Should be. And there's room for all three of them, but at least two of three. Those are the programs that were mentioned. If you wanted to add Georgia Tech, I would add them. If you wanted to add either of the Arizona schools and or UCLA, I would gladly add them. Uh, if you wanted to add, I don't know, where else could we go? Some people went with like North Carolina. I would agree with that. So there are a number of other programs. This is not an exhaustive list. It's just a list that most of you came up with today. We move on. Uh, there is a very, very busy sheet of paper and a busy monitor in front of me here. And by the way, <laughs> who is this? So I, I just got asked, can the group of five get some crumbs, please? Yes. Before the end of this very broadcast, I will, I will deliver exactly that, crumbs to the G5. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge the G5. One team in, in particular. I'm going to acknowledge them before the show's over. Not at the very moment, though, because we've got to talk about the transfer portal. So the transfer portal's been on fire. It's been on fire for quite a while, and I, I really don't think that there's any kind of extinguisher out there. This is more like a grease fire, and so it's not put out in traditional manner. So right now, the transfer portal, every time you refresh your phone, you got new names coming and going. Jackson Dart is a name I'm fascinated with right now. Transferring from Southern Cal. Now, here's the way people are telling the story. Jackson Dart's leaving USC because Caleb Williams went to USC. Well, that may be the proper way to tell the story a week from now or a month from now. The second part of that story has not technically happened yet. The first part has. So Jackson Dart's in the portal. Caleb Williams, as of this broadcast, is not officially at USC. More on that in just a second. This was a four-star rated kid out of Utah. And it's important to note, as we did... I think right after signing day, when we were talking about him, I remember talking to some of our guys on the West Coast about Jackson Dart. And he was a very difficult eval because there was not a lot of good film of him because of what COVID had done. And so they, they put a very, very lofty grade on him, but there was still some internal discussion. Did we make him, did we rate him high enough? 
and he went to USC and immediately started making noise in uh, fall camp out there. He's a good player. He's a really good player. And right now, I think as of this moment, he's in Norman. So he's been visiting Oklahoma. Ole Miss is heavily involved here. Now, here's what's fun. Jeff Levy, who was Lane Kiffin's offensive coordinator, he is now at Oklahoma. And so if this is down to OU and Oklahoma, and there may be other programs involved, TCU may have been involved, but if it does come down to Norman or Oxford, you got a guy who was the OC for Lane Kiffin 15 minutes ago, probably trying to negative recruit against Kiffin. That's probably what's got to happen there. It may make you want to wash your hands or take a shower to think about, but that's, that's kind of the way the coaching carousel meets the transfer portal in this day and age. Also, Mike Trigg, the tight end who's transferring from USC, also on a visit to Oklahoma today. Now, here's the dark horse. I don't know to what degree there is validity here, but the fun dark horse for me, and I think maybe just the one I'll root for, is West Virginia. Graham Harrell, who was the OC out at USC, he is at West Virginia. This is a big underrated hire for Neil Brown up in Morgantown. And if they were to pull Jackson Dart, that would be phenomenal. It would be phenomenal for the Big 12. It would be phenomenal for us because I want to talk about West Virginia. I love the program. There are some programs that I used to play back when I played the video game a long time ago. I used to play with West Virginia. Now, that would have been like Pat White, West Virginia, but I used to play with West Virginia. So I'm pulling for West Virginia. Plus, I love John Denver. Uh, how about Caleb Williams? So Caleb Williams, it's just a foregone conclusion to most that he's going to land at USC. It'll be a, an interesting ordeal if he doesn't. So right now, the status of Caleb Williams, again, we're live at a 7.39 in the p.m. No, not 7.40 on this Thursday night. The status is he's in the portal. Now, he's already visited out there. He's been in L.A., been spotted at, at courtside at Laker games, I think. So he's out there. Yes, of course. Or maybe the Chargers game he was at. I think he'll end up at USC. It would surprise me if he didn't end up at USC. I just think that even though everyone assumes it, watch what happens. If slash when that news becomes official, it will still feel like a bomb went off. It's kind of like when something that's assumed is actually verified. You know, you assume that Georgia could win a national championship. Well, then they won one. It's a huge deal. Well, it's the same way in the transfer portal. You can talk about this all you want to. When it becomes official, it'll be really big. And then also you're going to want to watch who else or who else that's in the transfer portal follows. What kind of ripple effect or tsunami effect does that have? Because that's the kind of keystone player that does indeed have that kind of ripple effect. Um, that's about all there is to say about that. Miller Moss is another quarterback that's on the roster. And there are a lot of people who like Miller Moss, too. Uh, there's, no, there's no smart money on whether his future is impacted by this, but just something to watch there. A very important early cog in the wheel for Lincoln Riley. What about these Alabama departures? Several of them. This was predictable. I don't quite think it was predictable that Jaleel Billingsley was going to go from starting the national championship game to in the transfer portal the next day. Some would argue based on his level of play, he was in the transfer portal before the game began. I, it's one of the most disappointing performances I've seen on a big stage from an effort standpoint in quite a while from Jaleel Billingsley. Am I salty because we prop bet him? Absolutely, I am. And by the way, I haven't addressed this. Notice they threw to him a couple of times on the opening drive. That's all I'm going to say about it. I, I feel good about the intel we had. I feel horrible about the execution and the effort level. So Jaleel Billingsley, the tight end, he's in the portal. Drew Sanders, also in the portal. 
Now, both of these guys are highly ranked in the transfer portal rankings. It's very important to note now, there's going to be a theme, I think, emerge. And it ties in closely. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and lump another guy in with this. Pay attention to Mario Williams, the wide receiver from Oklahoma, very highly rated guy. He was the talk of spring practice there. He's in the portal as well. Texas has all these dudes on the radar. Texas has Mario Williams. I, I think he either has visited there already or is going to visit there. But Texas has their eye on Jaleel Billingsley. They got their eye on Drew Sanders. In fact, I would lean Texas for Drew Sanders. These are guys who would be immediate impact there. Now, I was looking at Mike Roach over on Horns 24-7 talking about this earlier today. I, I, I would choose to view these guys not as a package deal, but I don't view them individually. I, I think you could have multiples of this group. And then also, you got a guy like Shane Lee transferring from Alabama. Jalen Moody, linebackers, both of them, transferring from Alabama. There's a lot of people who are trying to assume that because both of those inside backer types are leaving, maybe it means Henry Toa Toa and or Christian Harris are returning. That could be, that could be the case, but I don't think there's necessarily correlation there. What I'm saying is in the past, you've come to view Nick Saban as this master roster manager, and he is and has been. So where you now just assume, well, if those players are leaving, it's directly tied to something else that's happening on the roster. It could be the case. What I'll tell you is don't assume that's the case. Right now, it could just be that one or both of those linebackers that started this year for Alabama transferring are, are going to the draft, and these dudes just want to transfer anyway. And that could be Nick Saban's reaction. He could not be happy about it. There's not always design is what I'm trying to tell you behind the way that things work on a roster in the transfer portal era. Sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't. The transfer portal rankings, though, are very fun to watch. Uh, the, this, is, this is a huge slice of the roster pie now. you got to pay attention to it. It is our, it is our best performing repeated topic. Like we, we do this a lot, and the videos just get eaten up, so I know everyone's interested in it, and you should be. I mean, Michigan State overmade their team. They overhauled the team overnight just by using the transfer portal. All right, last thing I wanted to touch on tonight, and thank you, by the way, for being tuned in. If you're here live or you're watching the replay, like the video, subscribe to the channel. That's, that's it. That's really all I need from you. 2021, was it the best season you've seen? Now, my argument was yes, at least in a generation. Some of you said no, but I think most of us concluded it was up there. Maybe my team specifically wasn't good and... That's made me jaded towards 2021, but it was up there. Well, let me take you back to August. This is how I choose to view a season in totality. Don't look back on it. Take everything that happened and then go back to talk to yourself in August and imagine if you told yourself all of the things that were end up coming to fruition. I don't think some of you are aware of how many boxes on your proverbial wish list were checked this year in college football. A lot of you we're tired of the staleness. Of course, we all wanted crowds back and we all wanted the game day experience, but some of you wanted a change at the top. Some of you wanted parity. Some of you wanted a more evenly competitive, balanced sport and you wanted some new blood. Do you realize you got all of it? Like, think about this. So I was looking on Twitter this morning and one of our buddies, Andrew Percival, part of the Stay at Four movement, by the way, Four and No More, uh, he tweeted out uh, something to this effect. And I looked at it and said, True, 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 true. Think about some of these things that happened. First off, go back to Preview Magazine season. 
Do you remember how much of a foregone conclusion it was that you already knew the playoff field? How many times did you hear people say, well, I already know Ohio State's going to be there and Clemson's going to be there and Alabama's going to be there and then Oklahoma. Oklahoma was the preseason number one. Do you remember how much of a foregone conclusion it was that those teams were just going to buzzsaw their way and the season wasn't really going to start until the playoff? Clemson, nowhere to be found. Ohio State, nowhere to be found. Oklahoma, nowhere to be found. Not only that, guys, none of them even played for a conference championship. Go find me odds on that from August. If I were to tell you nothing more, as a matter of fact, in August, then OU and Ohio State and Clemson, they're not even going to play for their conference championships. You would have said, game on. You would have said, wow, this thing's about to be crazy. And it was. Then what if I followed it up and I said, hold it, not done yet. G5 team's going to make the playoff. You would have said, wake me up, I'm dreaming. So you're telling me all the big boys are going to fall, not even play for a conference title, and now you're telling me a G5 team's going to make the playoff? I don't even care who it is. You'd probably assume Cincinnati, and you would have been right. I don't even care who it is, though. Yeah, all the big boys are going to fall, and so, so the giant cedars are going to be toppled, and then a former little sapling is going to rise up. And I would have said, yeah, that's absolutely what's happening. In August, this would have totally freaked you out. But you got conditioned to the possibility as the year went on, and so it felt a little sanitized when you ended up getting it. That's why you need to view it from the perspective of August. Then, what if I were to tell you, I'm still not done. Someone's going to win a national championship who has not done it in this millennium. Someone is going to end a multi-decade drought in winning a national championship. Now, you may have guessed Georgia. You may have. Or you may have guessed, at that point, Michigan, because if I were to have told you, Ohio State's not even going to win the Big Ten or play for the Big Ten title. You assume, okay, well, everything's in play. Now, maybe it's Penn State. Like, who knows who it is? Maybe it's Texas. It ends up being Georgia. This was a multi-decade drought that just got ended. Now, you may look at him and say, oh, big deal. Georgia's a powerhouse. Guys, I hadn't won a title since the early 80s. It's a huge deal. You wanted a shakeup. You wanted that trophy going somewhere other than Clemson, South Carolina, or Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Well, it did. And it did in the same year that the other big boys, aside from Bama, didn't even make the playoff, and a G5 team did, but we're still not done. Do you remember how great this regular season was? This regular season was off the charts. The state of Michigan alone is like a perfect promotional billboard for how great this regular season was. Think about Michigan State. Over under preseason win total, four, four and a half. And they go into the Ohio State game already, I think, with nine wins. They end up a double-digit win team. And Michigan State, we're at the game. We were at the Michigan game when they upset Michigan and they stormed the field. And it was, a, it, it was an incredible experience in East Lansing. There was so much weight that was lifted off the shoulders there. It's not that they hadn't done it in a long time, but it's that this was packaged with sort of a new era there and it was the Mel Tucker era. This was not a year they were supposed to be able to do that. They beat Michigan in a year where Michigan ended up going to the playoff. Like, how crazy is that? Which brings me to my next point. Yeah, Michigan State had a great year. Dude, Michigan went to the playoff. The state of Michigan, just in and of itself, had its own little mini-Renaissance season within the larger aspect of a Renaissance season. Michigan State and Michigan were about as good as college football regular season this year got. Now, it got to a point where, you know, Michigan State runs up on Ohio State, 
and they're very ill-equipped to deal with that speed in the secondary. Michigan runs up on Georgia. They can't handle the physicality. That doesn't take away from how incredible the regular season was. Like, no one who was in the house, you're watching the B-roll right now, I shot, I think that's from the I, Josh. I shot this. That's at the big house. That is Ohio State and Michigan. We got the snow coming down sideways, and those folks finally exercised the demons, and they stormed the field. It took forever to get out of there. Do you think they forgot that because they couldn't beat the University of Georgia? I think everyone just said, oh, well, etch a sketch. Just erase that memory from, the, from, from my mind. Like, I, I, it didn't matter to me anymore. No, no one thinks like that. It was incredible. Also, we're not done yet. Yeah, we're not done. As incredible as that was, for those of you who still didn't have enough new blood in the conversation, need I take you to the ACC? Need I take you to the Pac-12? Because that's where we got two brand new conference champions. In the ACC, yeah, Clemson didn't play for the title. Well, that means two unfamiliar programs did, right? What Miami either. It was Pitt and it was Wake Forest. And by the way, Pitt makes it there on the strength of a Heisman Trophy finalist in Kenny Pickett. And they win the ACC. And Utah just skull drags Oregon, not once but twice, to win the Pac-12 I don't know how much more people wanted. When I asked the other day, was this one of the most incredible seasons or the most incredible in the modern era, a lot of you said, oh, no, I don't think so. What more did you want? I didn't even mention Baylor. Baylor came out of nowhere, led by a coach that I think is headed towards stardom in this sport. And you look around and you're like, what more did you want? Did you get fooled by the playoff? I think you did. I think some people are still struggling with properly defining the value of a season, and they're waiting for the playoff. And I'm telling you, you you ought to define the value of a season before the playoff even begins. Define it because we define the value of college football seasons by what the regular seasons bring us. Look at that. G5 team makes the playoff. Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, nowhere to be found. You got a a team that hasn't won titles in multiple decades winning one. You got the state of Michigan, just a microcosm, state of Michigan. I can expand well beyond there. You got Utah winning the Pac-12. You got Pitt winning the ACC. 2021 was incredible. And you'd be hard-pressed to convince me otherwise. Thank you. That's our show tonight. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Bate. Thanks so much. Hey, weather permitting, weather permits. About a half foot of snow coming to Nashville again. Weather permitting, we'll be here Sunday night. Everyone cross their fingers. Until then, have a great start to your weekend. And God bless. now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.